Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him righteousness. What did he believe specifically? He believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do and that the Messiah was going to come through Sarah. And he believed him and therefore he was saved. This gives us a clue to saving faith. The difference between dead faith and saving faith. We can say we have faith, but is that faith strong enough to trust God with anything and everything in our lives? Things we cannot see and don't understand? God wants us to have that kind of faith. The kind that says, whatever happens, Lord, I know that you are good and you will not fail me. May our faith be life-changing faith. With part two of James 2, 14 through 26, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Verse 18 gets to the heart of what James is talking about. He says clearly, I will show you my faith by my works. He is not saying that works will save you. He's saying that his faith will be revealed by works. You show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith with works. It's not that faith is not needed for salvation. Him and Paul, and, and I like J. Vernon McGee said this, and then a few pastors have used it since then, that, that, that Paul and James are not fighting against each other, but they're standing back to back fighting different enemies. James is fighting a licentious group of people that feel like, I don't need to change anything. Once I receive Christ, I'm okay. Paul fought those very same people in Romans chapter 6 when Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace might abound? And then he said, may it never be. How are we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or don't you know that you've been set free? You are no longer a slave to sin. So that's the same battle. So he clearly states here that faith is revealed by its works. Now, this is the passage that Martin Luther struggled with in the book of James. Remember when we had our introduction into James? I told you that Martin Luther had wrote a commentary on the Bible, and he put James at the end of his commentary, and he had put in, the, in his little introduction to the book that James was a book of straw because he struggled with this passage the one we're covering tonight, because he didn't see how he could connect it to what Paul said about being set free from legalism. And you got to think about Martin Luther's background. Martin Luther was a monk. Martin Luther was a man that climbed up and down stairs on glass because he believed what he did somehow pleased God. And so anything that began to smack of any kind of legalism, works justification kind of a thing, Martin Luther repelled at it. He believed that we had been set free. He loved uh, the passages where Paul talks about the liberty that we have in Christ, the grace. And so when he read this, it really upset him. Now, what you don't hear about Martin Luther is that later on he repented from this that he put James back where they generally put James in his day, and he took out the statement, this is a book of straw in his later works. So there came a point where he said, you know what, I understand. There came a point where he was able to handle it a whole lot better, that he didn't struggle as much with it. But this is uh, the passage. 
But right here, James simply says, I'll show you my faith by my works. It's not a denial of faith in any way, shape, or form. Now, what is faith? Faith is when you believe God enough to live what he says. That's faith. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. We have things we're hoping for, a glorious eternity, God working in the future of our lives. There are things unseen that God wants to do in our lives. And when you live differently, when you say, I'm no longer gonna do what I wanna do, but I'm gonna do what God wants me to do, you are then gaining the things that are, are unseen and the things that we hope for. That's the way we gain them. Isn't that awesome? When we live by faith, we gain the unseen and we gain the things that we hope for. And so works is the evidence that we believe God and we believe him enough to live the way we are supposed to live. Now he goes on to say here, I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You believe that God exists. You believe that there's one God. You do good. When I was in the Methodist church at 14 years old, I believed that God existed. Not a bad thing to believe that God exists. But I wonder out of all the people that attend church, call themselves Christians in all of America, even around the world, I wonder how many of them have a demonic kind of a faith. Demons believe in Jesus so much that they tremble at the name of Jesus. When you say Jesus, demons go, oh, I don't like that. It was like when my youngest son watched over and over again, The Lion King. Any of you guys have kids that were that age? Did you watch it? My daughter watched Beauty and the Beast a million times. My son watched Lion Kings. And remember, uh, there's the hyenas that are there and Mufasa is said. And one of the hyenas goes, say it again, say it again, Mufasa. And they tremble at it. Well, demons tremble at the name of Jesus. They believe in Jesus so much that they tremble, but they are not saved. They have an orthodox belief. When demons talked to Jesus, at one point they said, don't send us uh, away before our time. They believed there was a time coming when they were gonna be sent away, just as the Bible says. So one pastor said it this way, demons have proper eschatology. That's better than a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians don't have eschatology as the study of the last days. A lot of Christians don't know what to believe when it comes to eschatology. A lot of Christians throw their hands in the air and say, I don't know what to believe, so I'm not gonna believe anything. By the way, I don't know if that's a good idea, all right? I think God's given us his word. A third of it is prophecy. We should dive in. But demons knew what they believed about their theology. I also believe that demons believe that God is one God, that demons believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. In other words, they are orthodox in what they believe. Is it possible that you could believe and be orthodoxed and have a dead faith instead of a living faith? It is if your faith doesn't transform your life. It is if your faith doesn't make you someone that you didn't used to be. Now, just to make the point again that James is not saying this while the rest of the Bible says something different. Remember that John said, if you say that you love God, but you hate the brethren, you're a liar. John said, if you say you love God, but you don't do the things that God says, you don't keep his commandments, then you're a liar. Again, it's the same thing. We will have the proof of works if we have faith. Faith will be revealed by works in our lives. 
In verse 20, then he says, but do you not know, O foolish man? (laughs) And I love now that he goes to this imaginary person or perhaps it's not so imaginary and he calls him foolish for believing that you could have dead faith. Now, why would it be foolish? Why would it be foolish for you to think that you can believe and not have a faith that transforms you? Because the most foolish thing that you could do is to believe that you're okay when you're not okay. Is to believe that you're on your way to heaven when you're not. Could there be anything worse than being one of those that Jesus talked about who says, Lord, Lord, and he sends them away? That there will, there will come a day when there will come some who will say to him, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say to them, away from me, for I never knew you. They believed him enough to see miracles happen, but they didn't have that transforming faith. Now, whenever I give a message like this, some people get upset. I will get, believe this or not, nasty emails. <laughs> some people are upset that, I'm discouraging people in the security of their salvation. That I really ought to be concerned that people are secure in the fact that they're saved. And here's the thing. If you are genuinely saved, I want you to be as secure as you can be in Christ. I want you to be secure in Him. I want you to have security blankets, a security system. I want you to be secure in Him. But if you're not saved, I don't want you secure in that. And and what pastor worth his salt would say, I don't need to challenge people as to whether or not they're really saved. I can't imagine it. I mean, you do show incredible wisdom in going to the church that I pastor. (laughs) Or at least being here tonight. may never come back again after that, but you're at least here tonight. So certainly you must be saved, right? No, I'd rather challenge you. I'd rather step out on a limb and take a a chance of maybe offending you that you would really examine to, to see whether or not you're really saved. To going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I really want to make sure that I know you and walk with you. I really want those radical changes that are in my life. And so again, verse uh, 20, but do you uh, want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he gives us two examples. These are positive examples as to what faith looks like. And not surprisingly, one of them is Abraham. And then surprisingly, one of them is Rahab. And you'll see what I mean as we continue on. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Huh? When he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. Now, Abraham is a young guy of 75 years old living in Mesopotamia. He gets a call from God to leave and to go to uh, the land of Canaan. When he gets there, God says to him, Abraham, I have a plan for you. You're going to have a son, and you're, through that son, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the earth. His wife, Sarah, was barren. He's 75 years old and doesn't have any kids, and his descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand upon the earth. Well, we see from our perspective today that that's exactly what happened. All of the Arab peoples and all of the Jewish people come from Abraham. They're descendants of Abraham. They literally number the stars in the skies and the sand on the sea. They're uncountable. You can't count them. He said, can you count the sand? You won't be able to count your descendants, Abraham. He's 75 years old. His name, Abram, means father. And then God changes his name. It's really funny because he changes his name after Abram has a son. He has a son, Ishmael. God told him, you're going to have a son by Sarah. 
and he went and Sarah when they didn't have a child Sarah came up with the idea of taking her handmaiden giving him to giving her to Abraham and saying have a child by her and Abraham says okay so they have a son named Ishmael and then when God comes back next time God says I'm going to give you a new name all this time he's been asked what's your name my name is Abraham oh father how many kids you got none your name is father well now God changes his name to father of many Abraham now someone comes back hi Abraham no it's no longer I mean hi Abram no longer Abram it's Abraham oh father of many how many kids you got one <laughs> they still didn't bear it out but then God said to him your wife Sarah will bear a son and Abraham said oh Lord maybe you're not aware of what's happened in the meantime but oh that my son Ishmael might live before you I got a boy he's a good boy God you should take him and use him and God says no but it shall be your wife Sarah and she shall have a child now she's getting older and he's getting older but the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him righteousness what did he believe specifically he believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do and that the Messiah was going to come through Sarah and he believed him and therefore he was saved this gives us a clue to saving faith the difference between dead faith and saving faith dead faith believes that God exists but doesn't believe it enough to make changes in your life living faith believes that God's going to do what God said and when God says it he means it and so you change your life based upon what he said that's the difference between the two and so Abraham has it accounted to him as righteousness and then at Sarah being 90 years old and Abraham being a hundred they have the child Isaac and they name him laughter because a 90 year old lady giving birth to a baby is funny <laughs> 89 year old pregnant lady is funny if you see this old lady you know see pregnant ladies trying to sit down you see an old pregnant lady trying to sit down it just is funny um, and she laughs they laugh and God provides this child well after a few years God tells Abraham take your son your only son and take him up on a mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him to me now Abraham God told him this is going to be the son that the promise is going to come through the whole world is going to be blessed through your descendants through one seed one person in your descendants the whole world will be blessed so Abraham doesn't question God he knows it's against the very nature of God to have human sacrifice he knows that this child is the promised child and he gets up the next morning he gets two of his servants he loads donkeys up with wood he brings fire with them and they head out to the mountain that God will show him when they get to the edge of the mountain Abraham says to them stay here and me and my son will return we will come back to you there's Abraham's faith what we learn in Hebrews is that Abraham believed that God was going to raise him from the dead because God couldn't lie and God had to have Isaac be the son of promise that he was going to kill him and that he was going to resurrect him I like what John MacArthur says he says I think Abraham was was uh, a little uh, disappointed that he wasn't going to get to see the resurrection now I don't know whether he was disappointed or not that he didn't thrust a knife into his son but he believed God so much that he was willing to do whatever God said because he believed God could do it he takes his son on that mountain he ties him up he places him on the wood he pulls back the knife and God stops him and God provides a ram by the way the mountain that he showed him was Mount Moriah at the foot of Mount Moriah some 1500 years later our Messiah 
would die on a cross for us. The very same mountain God provided the ram for Abraham, God provided the lamb for us. And that was really the picture, wasn't it? A father sacrificing his son to save mankind. That was the picture. But Abraham was being tested. But God already knew what was in the heart of Abraham. God says, now I know that you'll serve me. Well, God already knew that he would serve him. But what did his faith do when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son? It was a revelation not to God that his faith was living, but to us that his faith was living. When you live your life radically for Jesus, when your life is radically changed because of your faith, that is evidence to me that you have really been changed and evidence to your family that you have really been changed. When there's no changes, it's evidence to you that you have not really been saved. So Abraham, look at what it says here now. It says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with works and by works faith was perfected? This is the second statement that he's made to help us understand what he's saying. He was saying, first of all, I'll show you my faith by my works. And now he says that faith is perfected by works. Nowhere in this text can you make a, a case that he is saying works will save you and faith doesn't. He's saying faith is revealed by works and faith is perfected by works. It's faith that's perfected by the works. It's faith that's revealed by the works. See? And then in verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Now, I like that. Why was Abraham called the friend of God? Did, did you ever wonder that? How was it that Abraham developed that relationship? He was not called a friend of God before he sacrificed Isaac. And then when Abraham is called a friend of God, it's always directly related to his obedience to God. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what my father says. The way that we have intimacy with Jesus, you feeling far from God, you feeling cold and distant from him. Tonight, later on, fall on your face before him, get alone and say, God, I wanna do what you want me to do. I want to be the man you want me to be. I want to be the woman you want me to be. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be directed by you. I want to do what you want. I want to be that man or woman of faith that is unlike anyone else in this world. And there will be an intimacy between you and God because that's the friend of God. That's what brings us in is that, that relationship that you have. So he was called then a friend of God. And then he says in verse 24, you see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. People get hung up on the first phrase there. You see that man is justified by works and you go, no, you're not. You're justified by faith. Yes, he agrees. He goes on to say, and not by faith only. Faith works make the faith perfect. Works reveal the faith that is there, right? That's what he said so far. Likewise, now he goes to Rahab. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them away another way? Now, you couldn't have any more radical person from Abraham than Rahab. A Abraham is, has this, is this person in a high social position and Abraham's in the lowest social, excuse me, and Rahab's in the lowest social position. She's a harlot. And when the spies are in her area, she takes them into her house and she hides them. 
And when they come and they check for him, she says, they're not here. And a lot of people argue about whether or not her lie was okay. Listen, do I think her lie was right? Do I think it was right for her to lie? No. Do I think her lie was okay? Obviously. I mean, her sins are forgiven. And when we start arguing about whether or not her lie was okay, do we forget all the things we've done? <laughs> Maybe we should remember what we've done a little bit instead of worrying about that. But here's the thing. What was it that he, he encourages her about? Not the lie, but that she hit him and that she sent him out another way. She, by faith, wanted to be a part of the community of God. She said, I want you to take me with you. They said, you tie this scarlet thread in the window. What do you think that scarlet thread represented, by the way? You tie this scarlet thread in the window and we'll know anyone you've got in the house is going to be safe and come with us. And they took Rahab and they took her family, this Canaanite prostitute, they brought her into the family of God and she married a man who had a son who had another son by the name of David I might have missed a son by the way he might have been she might have been the great 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 grandmother of, of David instead of the great great grandmother of David but you can look it up if you're interested but isn't that great isn't it great that this woman that had faith enough to say, I believe in God and I want to be a part of what you're doing, that she does that and God brings her in. And not only is she mentioned here with Abraham, the father of faith, she's mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. And she became a grandmother or great-great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother to David. And so then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, you can't be any more deader than that. When life leaves, what leaves? What changes? The spirit goes. The consciousness goes. As a body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. He's saying, just as a body is dead, there's no way that faith without works can save you. There's no way you can feel okay if you don't have works in your life. When I was born again, there were radical changes that took place in my life. And if those radical changes haven't happened to you, then you need to come back to them again today and say, Lord, I want to receive you. I want to invite you in. I want to give my life to you because works are going to make perfect the faith that we have. Works are going to reveal the faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. And to put it in the terms of Paul, works are the fruit that your faith produces. Your faith will produce fruit. And that fruit is the heart, the desire for God, the things that you end up doing. Saved by works? No. Works revealing the faith that we have is genuine all day long. Stand up with me, would you? And let's pray together. I think that's the first time I've ever ended a sermon all day long. <laughs> Father, we end this passage and consider our own lives. It would be really easy for us to just say we're okay but Lord, we really want to search our own hearts. Even as we're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians, examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. Do we really believe? Do we really live in such a way that we will achieve the things we hope for and the things that are not seen? And Lord, we pray that you would touch our hearts and if we need to get things right with you, if we need to make sure that we would do so tonight. I also pray for those who have never made a commitment to you. They're here tonight. I pray you give them boldness to take the next step. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.